Turn in your Bibles with me to Nehemiah chapter 9. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. Nehemiah chapter 9. There are many things that the Lord could bless us with from this subject today. And I hope that and trust that He'll bless us with all of them. We want to exalt God because He's the giver of the promises. He's the promisor. We want to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ because He's the guarantor. We want to rejoice in the Word of God because it's the written contract and document, covenant, testament of all His promises to us. We want to be provoked to live holy lives because some of the promises I share with you in this second assembly will be of a conditional nature. We, we want to have our assurance and confidence lifted higher than ever before. We want to do exploits for the Lord, knowing that He's promised us such great things and He never fails. Lord, bless us in these things that we're considering. In the first five books of the Bible, what promise is repeated the most times? The promise of the land. The promise of the land. To Abraham, the land, the land, the land, the land. Isaac, the land, the land. Jacob, the land, the land. Moses, the land. We're in a very small minority. Dispensationalists believe that God hasn't yet given them the land. So Jesus has to come back, retake the land of Canaan, set up an earthly throne over there on that sand, and give Israel the land of Canaan forever. Well, here's what the Bible says about that promise of the land. Nehemiah chapter 9, there are only 50 references that prove that God already gave the land to Israel. But I don't have time for 50 references. I'm going to give you my favorite. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 7. Thou art the Lord, the God, who didst choose Abram, and broughtest him forth out of Ur of the Chaldees, and gavest him the name of Abraham and foundest his heart faithful before thee, and madest a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Jebusites, and the Girgashites, to give it, I say, to his seed, and hast performed thy words, for thou art righteous. The righteousness of God hangs on the fact of whether God gave the Israelites, the land of Canaan or not, and God is righteous, and Nehemiah says that that land that was promised, you performed your words. So I want you to rejoice in the promised land. I could preach right now on the promised land for some time, and I would hope that you would expect me to be able to, and I would hope that some of you could get up and preach on the land promise for a period of time. Because the Bible is filled with the fulfillment of that prophecy. By David and Solomon, they extended the empire, the kingdom of Israel, from the Euphrates River to the Nile River, from the Jordan River, and even beyond it to the Mediterranean Sea. Thank you, Lord, for your promises, and thank you for showing us that they are fulfilled. I grew up thinking that we needed to fork money over to Israel in order to help them get the land. Do you know that that still infects and affects our political process in this country? It's amazing. The most Christ-hating people on earth 
Do you know who the seed of Abraham is? We are. Jesus Christ is the seed of Abraham. I want you to turn to Galatians 4. I'm getting a little bit off track, but I just help me end it right here with Galatians chapter 4. In the last 10 or 11 verses of Galatians chapter 4, there is a comparison made. It's an allegory. And God, through Paul, writing Galatians. Galatians are what kind of people? Jews or Gentiles? They are Gentiles. Paul, writing Gentiles, tells them that they are like Isaac, the seed of... What's that word that we're dealing with today? The seed of promise. And the Jews are like Ishmael, the seed of the bondwoman, Hagar. Unbelievable! Why don't the dispensationalists ever read Galatians 4? I just want verse 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. We're the children of promise. This was written to the churches of Galatia, which were Gentile churches. Before I leave, come back to chapter 3. I'll do it fast. Because I want you to remember, it should be on the same page maybe. It is in my Bible. Galatians, see, I didn't turn you to any other place. Galatians 3.16, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. When you go back there, God promised Abraham, I'm going to give you all this land. I'm going to give you a seed that is greater in multitude than the stars of heaven and the sand which is by the seashore. You are going to take the gates of your enemies and destroy them, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed in you. Do you know what's taught? If we take care of Jews and let them live in the ghettos of New York City, God will bless America. If we send F-16s over there to Israel, God will bless America. But who is the seed of Abraham? I'm going to read it to you. Galatians 3.16. Do not forget this. Young man, you keep this church believing that the seed of Abraham is the Lord Jesus Christ and all those that are in Him. Galatians 3.16. I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord that I know this truth. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. The promises were made through Abraham to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 29. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. How do you get to be Christ? Verse 26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you're Jesus Christ and you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Because it's heaven. It wasn't the sand. It was heaven. It wasn't earthly Jebus. It's the new Jerusalem, which is above. And then verse 27, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. How are you Christ? By faith first in verse 26. By baptism second in verse 27. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Why haven't they read that? There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Anyway, that's wonderful. Okay, let's go to Hebrews chapter 13. This got it all started. And oh, what a start it was. I heard one sentence from your brother Matthew on Wednesday evening. About one sentence, maybe two. Jonathan, 
It might be three. Don't remember, I could use semicolons and colons. Jonathan, when I woke up this morning, the Lord said to me, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It changed my day. That was the end. I walked into the house and sat down in my office and the Lord just put a funnel in an ear and just started pouring and I started typing. And since Wednesday night, I have an outline started on 1 Peter 4. He just filled me with a lot of promises. Amen. And I'm very thankful for Amen. that brother coming by and sharing that word with me. Uh, the, Lord, the Lord had spoken to him and the Lord spoke to me in a big way, but we're turning to that passage right now, and I hope that, that I hope that we always remember this promise. Hebrews thirteen five. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13 is Paul wrapping up a number of things as he wrote this epistle to the Hebrews. So it's a, it's a list, the laundry list of a number of blessings. Verse 4 is about marriage. Verse 3, uh, verse 3 is about empathy. Verse 2 is entertaining strangers. Verse 1 is brotherly love. It's one of those chapters of the Bible. But here we have two verses and it's very personal and it's very specific. God speaking in the singular quoted out of several places in the Old Testament, which I don't have time to take you to them, but this promise was well known, and the Apostle Paul repeats it, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Your conversation is your lifestyle. We should not live covetous lives. We should not be wanting what we don't have. We should be content with the things that we have, because the biggest thing, the thing that matters the most, is God's presence. And he said... I will never leave thee. And that is a singular pronoun because that was given to Moses and that was given to Joshua and that was given to other individual men and every one of you, Bethany, that includes you. You can claim Hebrews 13.5 for yourself that God said to you, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And he copied us on the message to you. Do you understand that? It is to you. And everyone in here, it is to you. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Thank you, brother. That little short exchange, I just plunked down in my office late that night. I mean, and just uh, was taken over. I want to be possessed by the Holy Spirit, and I want all of you possessed by the Holy Spirit. But what a text. So it, it completely cure, it should completely cure covetousness and it should give contentment because we've got the Lord with us and He's never going anywhere else. But there's more because that little adverb so that starts off verse six. So based on that statement, we may boldly say, now are you this confident? The Lord is my helper. Why is He your helper? Because He's always with you and He will never leave you and He will never forsake you. You have the power of the universe with you, in you abiding with you, dwelling with you, on you, under you, over you, underneath of the everlasting arms, over knee, overhead are the wings of the eagle of God. He will bear you on eagle's wings. We are so blessed from that one little statement right there. Amen. 
so that we may boldly say, not just say as a doctrinal point of truth, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Amen. Thank you, Lord. That's as personal as it can get. Okay, Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And brethren, I'm not going to hit some of your favorite promises, and I'm sorry about that. But you know, my purpose today is not to deal with all the promises of the Bible. That's too big of a subject. It's to get you excited about the promises, believing the promises, and when you read your Bible, looking for the promises. I want you to read your Bible like I have said it now. What, four, five, six? Is it ten times that I've said it's written by God, a personal letter to you and copied to the rest of the world? You should read it that way. And embrace those promises so that you can boldly say things and respond with, The Lord is my helper. That's the effect it should have on us. Bold statements of bold faith because we believe the promises. Those Maccabees over there, Judas Maccabees and his brothers over there in Daniel chapter 11, they did know their God and did exploits. And I want you to know your God today by knowing His promises to you. Now these are seven churches of Asia, just a little south of the churches of Galatia. They're in what is modern western Turkey. Not in part, not part of Greece. These are the seven churches of Asia. Paul was, Paul preached in Asia. But John is writing this to them for the Lord Jesus Christ, and he addresses these seven churches. And very quickly, if I can do it quickly, to the church at Ephesus, in verse 7, this is all to overcomers. What is an overcomer? An overcomer is someone who holds fast to Jesus Christ and his religion and doesn't move away from it for anything or anyone. He holds fast to Jesus Christ and lives by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's an overcomer. He doesn't go to the synagogue of Satan. He doesn't get lukewarm. He doesn't lose his first love. He doesn't believe in spiritual adultery with the prophetess Jezebel. They hold on to the Lord Jesus Christ. They live sold out, God-fearing, Christ-exalting, Bible-obeying lives. That's an overcomer. At the, there's seven letters here by Jesus Christ to these seven churches. And at the end of each letter is a statement that if you will overcome, this is what I promise. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Is that a pretty nice blessing? Is that a pretty nice promise? You overcomers, you'll eat from the tree of life. Is it in the red writing in your Bibles? I have a black letter edition. Is it in the red writing? So Lord Jesus Christ, I, to him that overcometh, will I give. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is the faithful and true witness. Jesus Christ cannot lie, does not lie, will not repent. And here's what he said. I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. How about Smyrna, verses 10 and 11? For none of those things which thou shalt suffer, fear, fear, none of those things which thou shalt suffer, behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. 
I do not like the second death. The first death is bad, but the first death is nothing compared to the second death. Do you know what the second death is? Revelation 20, 11 through 15. And whosoever was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. This is the evidence of those that get the promises of God. Verse 17, And the church at Pergamos, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. These are wonderful spiritual blessings. Don't be thinking of gravel. Be thinking of spiritual blessings under the symbolic term terminology of manna, of a stone, of a new name. Jesus Christ has been exalted as the Son of God, and His name of Jesus rules the universe. We will be exalted as the sons of God. Verses 25 through 28 of this same chapter. But that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. That's why we've met together today, to hold fast the profession of our faith. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with the rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father, and I will give him the morning star. Don't think of stars. Think of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the bright and morning star. Revelation 22 and verse 16. You fulfill these things spiritually, but these are wonderful promises given. You're not going to put the morning star on a leash, brethren. You're not going to lead Venus around or the sun or whatever you think the morning star is. The morning star is the Lord Jesus Christ. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith in the churches because it's pretty good. Verse 5 of chapter 3, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. Thank you, Lord. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Thank you, Lord. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Thank you, Lord. What wonderful promises. Verse 12, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he sh- the, the, the temple of God is a body of believers. Don't think buildings. Don't think cement. Don't think plaster. He's going to make you an important part in His church, in His body, in the kingdom and family of God. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name, saith the Lord. Verse 21, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in His throne. Praise the Lord. To be overcomers, the God of heaven that does not repent, does not lie, promise these things through the Lord Jesus Christ to those that believe on Him and obey Him and are overcomers. They don't let the world overcome them. They don't let their flesh overcome them. They don't let their old man overcome them. They maintain their fervency and love for the Lord Jesus Christ because they are not lukewarm and they don't lose their first love. They're overcomers. You can be an overcomer. We can all be overcomers. Because remember, Abraham was an overcomer, and he did laugh at the promise of God once. Sarah was an overcomer, but she did laugh at the promise of God once. David is an overcomer. And he had many sins in his life. 
In summary, in summary, these two chapters just told us that if you're an overcomer, God has promised a tree of life, a crown of life, no hurt of the second death, eat hidden manna, white stone, new name written, power over the nations, rule with a rod of iron, the morning star, white raiment, name not blotted out of the book of life, name confessed before God and the angels, being a pillar in the temple of God, no more going out of the temple, named with God's name, named with the holy city's name, named with Christ's new name, and you'll sit with Jesus in his throne. Not bad. Not bad. Now who wants to be an overcomer? Do you know what? Before this day is out, before your head hits the pillow, and even while your head hits the pillow and after it, do you know that the devil's going to come after you as a roaring lion? He doesn't have promises for him like these. Right. He has promises. Yeah. Yeah. The first one is in Genesis 3.15. The see the woman is going to bruise your head. That's a promise. Mm-hmm. He, he's going to come after you as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Are we going to hold fast to these promises? Are we going to stay zacked up? Are we going to keep on believing? Are we going to be overcomers before this day is over? Your flesh is going to come after you. The devil's going to come after you. The world is going to tempt you. Can we remember those 18? But there's more. We've got to turn over to Revelation 21. We're dealing with overcomers. We can't skip Revelation 21. Revelation chapter 21, verse 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. Now, wait a minute. All things? What are we going to do with it? He that overcometh shall inherit all things. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. How much of the universe do you think Jesus Christ isn't heir to? That answers your all. He's heir to all of it. We will split it with Him in a wonderful way. What a Savior. You be thankful that He's your Savior and not me or not you. Because if I was the Father's pride and joy, if I was the Father's only begotten Son, if I was the, if I was the Father's Son that pleased Him well at all times, I don't know that I'd want to share my inheritance equally with you. Because you just don't measure up to Him. But you can say the same thing to me, brethren. He is a wonderful Savior. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be His God, and He shall be my Son. That is incredible. The wording, that's just incredible words. That's Jehovah God speaking. That's the God of the burning bush. That's I am that I am. That's Jehovah God. I will be his God and he shall be my son. Okay, let's go back to Revelation chapter 3. You say, Pastor, everything you just mentioned, no hurt of the second death. I've never seen the lake of fire. I've never seen a white stone. I don't know about this new name and the hidden manna. Well, then let's, let me give you something right now. And I am so sorry and so sick and so angry that the first 20 years of my life I had to hear this verse corrupted and abused over and over and over. And it's verse 20 of Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 3.20. This is, is it in the red writing? Is this Jesus Christ? Behold. This has got to be good. Behold. Does verse 19 have a behold? Does verse 21 have a behold? Verse 20 has a behold. This is, this is good. Behold, in the red writing, the Lord Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth, says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, how many men does it take? 
if any man. One, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. This church thought they were mighty because they were blessed in other measures. They were rich. They were clothed. They thought they were a terrific church. But Jesus said, you don't have fellowship with me. You are naked and wretched and miserable and blind. This is what I offer. This is the Lord Jesus. That is a, that is a promise that is beyond belief. This verse doesn't have a thing to do with salvation. Have you ever heard this verse, Brother Adam, presented to people to get them saved? That if they would just invite Jesus into their heart, they could get saved? This isn't anything about salvation. This is about fellowship of a church of people who are already saved. But lacking in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. What a promise! Let's not let them steal the Word of God from us. Let's reclaim it and believe this verse. Open the door to Him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell Him you want Him to come into your life in a fuller measure by His Spirit and to fill you with His presence. That you want to abide in Him. And that you want Him abiding in you. And to bear much fruit because of that. That you want to have the fullness of joy because of His presence with you. We've preached on this verse before at length in depth. And you're going to have to go and and look to that for more. Let's go back to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. I've heard this one abused so many times. Revelation 21 and verse 6. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Anybody here want eternal life? Then drink. He will give it to anyone that's a thirst. The world out there isn't thirsty. The only ones that are ever thirsty are those that are regenerated and born again, who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and who hunger and thirst for the face of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, and I will give them to drink. Thank you, Lord, for that promise. 22 and verse 17 puts it this way, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come! And let him that heareth say, Come! And let him that is a thirst come! And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. The work of Jesus Christ, from a practical standpoint of us embracing it and taking it, is there for the believing. The only ones that will ever be thirsty and the only ones that ever want to drink of Christ are those that are born again and convicted by the Holy Ghost. Come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Remember, I'm just whetting your appetite. There's no way I could cover all the promises of God. We are going to finish on time and we are going to sing a song or two at the end because I need to hear it again before I go home. I've had to be, I've had to sing this to myself all week, the second half of this week, standing on the promises of God. And my mother-in-law had to listen to it this morning on the way to church, but I didn't care. And I'm thankful that some of you recalled it from 40 years ago. I haven't sung that song in 40 years, but you know, Here's a little rabbit trail. When our children go off and learn those Bible verses for PQA quizzing, they don't know what the verses mean. They don't understand the value and the importance of those verses like they're going to. But there's a day coming in which they're going to be able to reach into this great big file. Their hard drive is going to be jam-packed full of Scripture. Eric still runs upon verses that he memorized 40 years ago. No, you're not that. No. Um, 30 years ago. 
You know that song? I haven't sung it in 40 years. I'm churning through the Bible, looking up promises and thinking about promises, and I'm humming to myself. I just want to share that with you, that when we fill our children with the Word of God, we fill our children with songs, and we sing, it comes. It's wonderful. Even though we may not have understood it. When I was a child growing up and singing, standing on the promises two times a quarter in the church that I grew up in, if you'd have said to me, give me a promise, duh, you know, for a while, I wouldn't, I, I didn't know. But I, I want to hear it again from your mouths, standing on the promises of God. Because if we will stand on them, what God can do for us now and what God will do for us at death and what God has in store for us in heaven cannot be known. It is, it is beyond our experience so far. I want to stand on His promises and I want Him, I want Him to look at us and see a church that truly stands on His promises. That includes how we take, how we approach and think about our government. Because He has promises about our government. Okay, 2 Corinthians 7. This is, this is one of my favorites. Verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. God's promises should lead you to a more holy life. God's promises should lead you to a more holy life. Here, it is called perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This verse, this one sentence is, is weighty. It's full of powerful meaning words. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This is a church. An apostle is writing it. The apostle uses the plural pronoun, let us, and we should do this. We should perfect holiness in the fear of God. Church, we should be living a holy life in spirit, thought, mind, heart, and in our flesh, in our deeds. We should be living holy lives. We should perfect holiness in the fear of God. We should cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of our bodily actions and our thoughts and words. And we should do it because of promises that have been made to us. Dearly beloved. Why would he use the words dearly beloved? Because God has just expressed himself to this church in a very loving and personal way. There are seven promises if you will back up just a couple of verses. If you will back up to verse 16 in the middle of it. God hath said in the middle of verse 16, I will dwell in them, number one. Walk in them, number two. I will be their God, number three. They shall be my people, number four. The last part of verse 17, I will receive you, number five. Will be a father unto you, number six. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, number seven. Saith the Lord Almighty. Does that get your attention at all? Saith the Lord Almighty. Mark them, number them. There's seven promises. So that when we read verse 1 of chapter 7, and you know if you're reading some Bible program that has you read 2 Corinthians 6 on one day and 2 Corinthians 7 the next day, and if you're in a little bit of a hurry, do you know what? You don't make the connection. This connection is powerful. Having therefore these promises. The promises are seven that God will dwell in them, walk in them, be their God. They shall be His people. He will receive us. He will be a father to us and we'll be His sons and daughters. Based on doing what? Not celebrating Christmas. That's what? 
You say, how do you get that out of this passage? By starting at verse 14, where I have about ten conditions to meet. Wherefore, verse 14, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, there is one. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, there is one. What communion hath light with darkness, there is one. And what concord hath Christ with Belial, there is four. Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, there is five. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols, there is six. For ye are the temple of the living God, verse that's number 7, as God hath said. Then we come down to verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, there's eight. And be ye separate, saith the Lord, there's nine. And touch not the unclean thing, there's ten. You do those ten things, you get the seven promises. Right. And it's exciting doing those things. Amen. Do, you like, do you like running into a person of the world and having them tell you what they think of the spirit of Christmas? I love doing it. They know that the spirit of Christmas is somewhere between suicidal and homicidal. Just go shopping on Black Friday. They know. It's horrible. Everybody's more impatient. They're angry. They're selfish. Anyway, it's the spirit of Christmas that's come out because the spirit of Christmas has never been the Holy Spirit and it's never been the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. It's the spirit of the devil. Right. This promise, these promises right here are wonderful. You know, when we read the Old Testament where God says, you are my people, thundering from Mount Sinai, I've made a covenant with you. I am your God. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Over and over, all caps. We read that and we say, oh, what a blessing it would have. Forget it. Right here. Right now. Let's be separate from the world. Now, I just made it easy by saying Christmas. What else pops up in your mind? Bitterness? Hate? Uh, you sleep in too much? Are you slothful? I mean, let's cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Do you fantasize? Are you lusting after other women or other men? Let's, let's bring it home so that we can be honest with the passage. Christmas is too easy. There's other things that are closer to home. Let's flush them all. That's how you cleanse yourself. You, you wash it off and you hit the silver lever. Let's get rid of it so that these promises can be ours. What can the Lord do for us if He's dwelling in us, walking in us, being our God and we're His people, receiving us and being a father to us and we're His sons and daughters? We haven't seen the best yet. As individuals, as families, and as a church. Oh, I like that one. That's Second Corinthians 7. Having therefore these promises. I hope that you might draw a line in number the seven. Because it's a plural number and it is seven. Well, if, if I were to practice this, then I'm going to lose friends. I'm going to lose family. If I was to really be serious, well, then let's come over to Matthew chapter, Mark chapter 10 and see what the Lord Jesus Christ promised you. Mark chapter 10. If I do what you just said, if I come out from among them, and if I'm separate, and if I don't touch the unclean thing, I mean, if I don't have a Christmas tree, oh, they're going to think that I'm a part of a cult. They're going to think that I no longer worship Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That a Christmas tree has something to do with Jesus in their minds. What Jesus are they talking about? The other Jesus that Jesus said we're not supposed to follow? Mark 10, verse 28, Peter began to say unto him, Lo, 
We have left all. We are not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We have not touched the unclean thing, and we've come out from among them, Lord. We've left all to follow you. Mark 10, 28. And Jesus answered and said, I was putting some extra words in there just to bring in 2 Corinthians 6 in case anyone's wondering, did Oxford really go off the page that far? Mark 10, 29. Peter has really stepped up boldly here. He's showing his impulsiveness about how much he's forsaken. He's wanting to tell the Lord, I ain't nothing like this rich young ruler that just went away from you. I lost everything following you. I no longer have my 16-foot rowboat that I went fishing in. Here's how, here's how Jesus answers. This is a promise. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you. Now he includes Peter and the rest of the apostles because of that plural pronoun, you. There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. Amen. What a promise. Do you believe that promise? Some of you grew up in this church. You don't know what it's like being alone. You don't know what it's like leaving your family. You don't know what it's like having carpet fibers in your nostrils because you're begging God not to be left desolate and alone in the world because of a strange new doctrine that you're following that is according to the Bible because you grew up in this church. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be left desolate. Amen. I remember a night in Michigan where I thought all was lost, not my wife. But you know that passage says, if she goes, let her go. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. I thought I was going to lose my place in my church, that I was going to lose my ordination. And the Lord gave me that verse that night. And I just want to, as I look out at all of you, just say thank you for letting me be a member of this church because I'm not desolate. And he's redeemed the soul of his servant. Because these verses right here are true. And there's brothers that know that they're true. And the children and the brothers that we have, the brothers and the sisters and the mothers and the children that we have in here, you know, we don't get more wives. Did you notice that in verses 29 and 30 compared, it does leave out wives? that we don't get a hundredfold more of them. So this is not a text for polygamy. But everything else is listed there. Right. Believe it. Okay. The Lord took me to the rock bottom one night, whether I believed it or not. And it, it's true. These promises are true. It doesn't matter whether they were fulfilled in my life or not. They're in the personal letter from God to you that's copied to me. Right. Look at Matthew chapter 10. Oh, Lord, have mercy upon me. Lord, I'm not making much progress, and your word is full of promises. Bless these people to go home and read their Bibles and to find more. Let them look for them. Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Is this in the red writing in your Bible? This is the Lord Jesus Christ giving you a promise. This is surer than gravity. 
Jesus proved that gravity isn't true. He levitated out of this earth's gravitational pull up into the clouds and ascended up into heaven. If you think that you can preserve your life and live it your way and find the most happiness that way, you are dead wrong. You will lose your life. You will end up living frustrated, lonely, angry, discontent, covetous. If I've said frustrated, forgive me, but I'll say it again because it's double frustration if you don't want to live it God's way. This is such a simple promise. He that findeth his life shall lose it. If you think you can find your life in some calling, in some profession, with some spouse, with some big house, with some car, with some anything, if you think that that's going to be your life and that's going to give you fulfillment, the Word of God testifies right here with this promise, it will not work, you will lose your life. But if you will lose your life by giving everything to Christ and making Christ the center of your life, and pursuing Him and seeking Him and making Him the end all, your all in all, as we, we sang, you'll find your life. True statement. Lord, let us remember your promises. i got to go to John 15. John 15. There's a church member that might leave if I didn't go to John 15 for at least a minute. I... I suffered for it this morning by suggesting that you read John 14 instead of 15. Then another brother came up about that time and said John 16 was the one that we should have read. You know what? I love that for the purpose of this theme because every I hope you have places where you go in the Bible where there are promises that are dear to you. So all of that was all of that was very encouraging to me this morning. Encouraging. John 15, verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. That is to stay with the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep on believing. Keep on loving. Keep on obeying Him. That's all it means to abide in Christ. Stay with Him. Don't turn to the world. Don't turn to your family. Don't turn away to anything. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, that means to believe, love, and serve Jesus Christ. That's all that it means. Abide with Him. Don't turn away from Him. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, John fifteen five, and I in Him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. There's promises. For without me ye can do nothing. That's a promise too. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Your prayers will be heard for abiding in Christ. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. True disciples abide in Christ, stay with Christ, love Christ, obey Christ. They love the words of Christ. They're like Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus wanting to hear what Jesus Christ is teaching and they embrace that teaching and they stay with the Lord Jesus Christ. They hold fast their profession of faith that they are followers of the Lamb. And the Lamb then blesses them by supplying spiritual sustenance, nourishment, energy, and power for their lives to bear much fruit. It's a promise. It's Zach Pipkin's favorite passage, or one of them in the Word of God. Look at Matthew 18, 19. When was the last time you tried this? Matthew 18, 19. If you don't know it and you've got some need in your life, 
then call me and drive to my house. Start driving to my house and call me. Get to my house and I'll be the other half of this equation. I've done it before. I, I would love to do it more. Matthew eighteen nineteen. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Two of you, every one of you that are married, pray together. Brothers, pray together. When you get together, pray together. That if two of you, he, he said it, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them. And then it goes on in the words that you are more familiar with. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Brother Newell and I used to pray on Saturday mornings and we prayed around five years for him to get out of making that one hour, 60 mile drive to Greenwood to work for Capsule Gel, a subsidiary of Warner Lambert. Do you remember, brother? Now sometimes the Lord doesn't fulfill His promises the first time we pray because He wants to find out if we're going to continue in prayer. Then one day, standing in my kitchen at 101 Churchill Downs, I get a phone call. I'm no longer employed by Warner Lambert. They've given me such and such severance. We'll see what the Lord... I, I, I can remember that. You guys nearly kill me sometimes because I wish it was me. Not that, that was a terrible phone call. Do you know how far he has to drive to work? Do you know how far he's driven ever since? Do you know how many interviews he had to have for that job? He had one interview. They didn't ask the right questions. And they hired him and he drives a mile and a half to work. Or some, two miles to work. Right there. He lives in the backyard of the old Liberty Life IBM capsule. I don't know what they're called now. Concentrics. They, they change names every six months. All of, that is to, all of that is to say that if two of you shall agree on earth. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed for that. That was wasting two hours a day of his life in a week. That was wasting ten hours... Brother, you bother me so much. It's not your fault. You're doing everything right. We're just going to trust the Lord for you. That's James Ballinger I'm pointing at. If Butler Road is not too far out of your way, anytime you want to, just tell me on the way home and stop by and we'll pray and ask the Lord because He gave us this promise. My little wife and I have stories to tell from our ancient past that that are precious. John 14. Oh, I've got a John 14, Lord, lift up the hearts of your people and cause them to rejoice in your promises. Let them find their unique individual promises that speak the loudest to their souls and to delight in them. Where should I start in this chapter? I like the disagreement. That means you're, you've read the whole chapter. Because there's a lot of wonderful things here. Let's start with the first six verses. You know them so well. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. These are the last words Jesus spoke to his apostles. I want you to know that beginning at John 13, they were in the last hours before his crucifixion on the cross. This whole, these whole nine chapters from chapter 12 are right up there around the cross. These are some of his last words. Let not your heart be troubled. Because he had said some things in John 13 at the Last Supper that were troubling. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house 
are many mansions. That's a promise. If it were not so, I would have told you. If my father didn't have mansions for you, and you're really going to be beggars following me, I would have told you so. But I'm not telling you that because that isn't true. In my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. That's two promises. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. That's three promises. And receive you unto myself. That's four promises. That where I am, there ye may be also. That's five promises. Praise the Lord. Lay hold of those. Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back for you. And the reason he's gone is he's got to build a house for you. That's how the Bible wants it presented to you. And there's many of them there. And you say, well, what's a mansion? You know what a mansion is. And here's two things you can think about. If it's in the Word of God and it involves heaven, it is unspeakably glorious. Because the Apostle Paul, when he saw the mansions of heaven, when he came back, he said it was not lawful for me to describe them. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the first seven verses. Second of all, if Jesus Christ calls them mansions and they are the consequence and result of His death on the cross, they are glorious. If Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath, I need the word, prepared, I'm sorry, prepared for them that love Him, You can't even... How am I going to describe it to you? I love the Bible just the way it is. Mansions. A word chosen by God the Holy Ghost, confirmed by Jesus. And the Apostle Paul says it was not lawful for me to describe it. And human eyes, ears, and imaginations have never got close. That's good enough for me. That That just whets my appetite. That Jesus Christ is glorious in what He's building for us. And He's coming back. John 14, verse 16. I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter. Who has been their Comforter? He has. I will pray the Father, and He shall, He shall, that's a promise, give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you for five years this time. I was with you for three and a half, for five years, forever. The Holy Ghost. The presence of Jehovah God even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. He's with you in the fact that Jesus had the Holy Spirit without measure. So he was with the apostles. But when Jesus went back to heaven, he breathed on them. He said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. He said, Stay in Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Jesus comes to us by the Holy Spirit. And brethren, it's a blessing of the New Testament. And we have him forever. God, Jehovah, the God of the burning bush. He is an infinite, eternal, immortal, invisible spirit. Dwells in us forever. You say, well, I just don't feel it. Well, there's a good reason. The crap that you're reading and that you're watching on television, and that you're thinking about, and the friends that you have that pull you down and make you think about worldly things, you have ruined the blessing of God's presence in your life because you have quenched that spirit, you have grieved that spirit. 
to the degree that you confess all your sins and seek Christ first in your life and pray to be filled with the Holy Ghost and choose to walk in the way of the Holy Ghost, you will be filled with His power. It is not a mystery and it is not difficult. It takes personal diligence and effort to put off sin and put on the new man and to pray for it. Let's go down there further. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said, Nope. I want verse 21. Brethren, follow this one with me in John 14. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. This is talking about a very personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We have his commandments. We've heard them preached to us from the word of God, and we keep them. That means we obey them. He it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me this way, that keeps God's commandments, shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Unbelievable promise. What, how do I get that promise? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe his words and keep his commandments. Make your life conformable to the life of Jesus Christ and the life described in the Bible of a righteous man. And God and his son Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit will come and the triune God will be in you and abide with you and dwell with you forever. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am so tired of hearing people from my... From the, from my history of conversion, since I was about 18 years old, saying, well, they believe the doctrine. They believe the doctrine. I don't care if they believe the doctrine. Are they indwelt by the triune God, by the Holy Spirit? So much has been made of believing the doctrine of election or the doctrine of regeneration prior to faith. The devils believe that. So what? It isn't proof of anything. Do you know what is proof of something? Having my sayings and keeping them, he it is that loveth me. Right. That is not the measure of a man that he believes the doctrine. And when that expression is used to me, it is used very, very narrowly. That is not the evidence of eternal life. This is the evidence of eternal life. And this is a glorious life while you're on earth. I can hardly believe it. I will love him and will manifest myself to him. God and his son, Jesus Christ, dwelling in you and abiding with you forever. Did Jesus ever say, I'll raise him up again at the last day? Who were they? Him that cometh unto me. Here's another promise. I'm sorry that I'm mixing two of them. Him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise. Did Jesus say that? Did he cast out the thief? Did he say to the thief, what are you trying to say to me? You looking for some fire insurance? That's what people say when there's a deathbed conversion. Fire insurance, get you out of hell. Did Jesus say that to the thief? No. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's a promise. Do you know how wonderful it is to be able to tell people that are wrestling with something 
that Jesus said, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. I'm just finishing up. I'm... How about the Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after rest. Blessed? Oh, yeah. Filled. See God. Call the children of God. Oh, yes. The first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5. What's his last promise? The last promise that Jesus Christ gave. It's three words long. It has to have an I in it. I come quickly. Amen. But he hasn't come in 2,000 years. Now, how do you look at that? Do you want to leave us and go join the preterists because of that? Or do you like to reason this way? If Jesus called it quickly in Revelation 21, how much more quickly is it for me in 2014? That, that's how I look at it. Do you know why I look at it that way? Because Paul said in Romans 13, 11, now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. I come quickly. You can bet on it. Bet your life on it your life in this world and your life in the next. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.